I am glad to be back. What a blessing it was to have some great guest speakers and, and preachers to fill the pulpit while I was away. Kevin Diaz did a great job last week talking about love in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a message that he not just teaches with his lips, but he teaches with his life. Uh, Colin Seitz, the week before that, did an excellent job talking about missions. We had a mission Sunday here, and my heart was so encouraged by the stories. If you didn't hear that message, go back and check that out. There are some really powerful stories that he shared there, um, and you'll be uh, edified. And then Robert Reed, Pastor Robert from over at Eastside, came and did a great job with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so... This morning, we get the privilege of going through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, arguably one of the most controversial chapters in the Bible. So aren't you glad you came to church today? I'll do my best not to be controversial, um, but I'll let you know where I stand when it comes to 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll try to bring out clearly what the Bible says, what the Bible means and try to bring out some ways that we can apply it to our lives. And I think already this morning, I see some of the elements of what Paul is teaching happening here amongst us. Um, I've titled this message, Striving for Excellence in Edification. Striving for Excellence in Edification. Now, Typically, we hear strive for excellence in maybe school, on a poster, or at work. It's a part of a mission statement, values. We strive for excellence, okay? And this is actually a biblical concept. This is actually a biblical concept that the Apostle Paul pointed the church to and it wasn't just excellence for the the sake of excellence or, or striving for excellence for the sake of showing off and impressing people to be able to boast this is what we've done or this is what we have or this is this is who we are. But it's a striving for excellence in the building up and the strengthening of God's people. We've titled this series, Church Health Matters, and we've looked at a number of matters that, re- that regard, uh, that speak to church health. The Corinthian church in many ways were not healthy. They had a number of issues. And we all got issues, right? I mean, to, all you gotta do is look to the person next to you. Alright? Or look in the mirror, and you'll find somebody who has issues. Alright? And, and Christians are in this process of sanctification. We're being transformed. We're being changed. Okay? But, but the Apostle Paul, one of the things that's really important to him that he addresses within this chapter is that when the people of God come together in corporate worship, that this time, Be one for strengthening, one for building up, one that stirs your heart affections for Jesus, stirs you towards love and good deeds. Uh, Corporate worship is designed not only to exalt God in praise and worship, but to build up and strengthen those within the body of Christ. And we can do that when we properly use our gifts to serve, when we consider others, when we get out of self-focus and we turn our eyes upward towards Christ and we turn our eyes 
outward toward those around us. And we hear the promptings of the Spirit to say and speak and serve and act in ways that can edify those around us. At the end of chapter 12, actually, I'll I'll wait to go there. Uh, If you all would stand with me, we're going to read the first uh, five verses. And I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for these inspired, authoritative words that are relevant to our lives today. May they shape the way we gather in corporate worship. May they move us from being spectators in the church to participants, active participants who are utilizing their gifts to serve those around them. Make us fully alive on the inside. I pray for any person here who feels stuck and stagnant. I pray that you would awaken, that you would revive, that you would resurrect even the dead hearts and lives. By the power of your spirit, speak to your people through your word and move us onto your agenda. In Christ's name we pray. If you would remain standing and read with me. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, in a tongue, how will it benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If then lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So else, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So here's our big idea this morning from the text. God has given every Christian the capacity... And the responsibility to excel in building up others in their church family through the loving use of spiritual gifts. God has given every Christian the capacity and the responsibility to excel in building up others in their church family through the loving use of spiritual gifts. Now, first of all, I, I got to say that this chapter 
lots of explanation, and I'm sure that you have questions even from what we just read this morning, just a chunk of this chapter. And I hope to help clarify and edify you with some explanation and encouragement from these particular verses. So we're looking at striving to excel and building up the church. How do we do that? How do we strive and be excellent in strengthening, building up, and encouraging those within our church family? The Apostle Paul gives us a number of ways that we can do that with it. First of all, he highlights that we must prioritize love and desire the spiritual gifts. Love must be a priority. It's all right. Thank you. Uh, thank you. We'll keep it. I'll keep it ready. Okay. All right. <clears throat> um, I got three bars. Thank you. We must pursue. Thank you for lovingly coming up here and taking a risk of embarrassing yourself, Steve, <laughs> in front of everybody. And risking distracting everyone from what we're talking about in the text. For the sake of love. Amen. We must, to, to excel in building up the church, we must prioritize love. Okay? Over and over, the Apostle Paul is helping the Corinthian church to major on the majors. To major on the majors and let them where they will. Where they will. Okay, one of the majors for Christianity is love. By the way, it's a part of our vision statement here, a mission statement. Know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. It's one of our values. Loving community. Okay, this is who we are. This community has been a loving community for all eternity. And he's created us in his image. God has created us in his image to be a loving community that reflects his character, that reflects his glory to the world. The Corinthians were lacking in the fruit of the Spirit while they had lots of the gifts of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, that the Corinthians were not lacking in any spiritual gift. These guys were gifted. They were charismatic. They had charisma, but they were lacking character. They were lacking the character of love. They were lacking the character of humility. They were lacking spiritual maturity because they were being divisive and bickering and quarreling and, and, and boasting them about who's, who's greater, who, whose preacher is better. And the Apostle Paul was addressing their immaturity that was causing conflict in the church. Now, it's sad that for many of the Corinthians, it did more damage at times to go to church than to, than to just stay home. Because of all this, this brokenness, this selfishness, this lack of people using their gifts not to serve, but to show off and get attention to themselves. And so Paul brings the Corinthians back to the gospel. He gives a number of uh, uh, theological statements throughout this uh, letter about the gospel. He gives a whole chapter next week. Braden Hosel is going to preach on 1 Corinthians 13. There are 58 verses that emphasize the resurrection, the gospel. He's trying to center them on the gospel because healthy churches are gospel-centered. And healthy churches 
are saturated with love for one another. Is this not what Jesus said? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you know correct theology. I'm sorry. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, of course, theology is important. That's why Paul's spending so much time correcting the theology of the Corinthians. Jesus said, if you, if you abide in my word, you really are my disciples. Theology is important. But theology should lead us to lives of love. Theology teaches us that God is a God of love and that real Christianity is lived out with the motivation of love and service to others. So in 1 Corinthians 12, after, after Paul already gave a chapter uh, on the gifts of the Spirit and the body that functions interdependently, a healthy body works together. In harmony, functions, it supports one another. There's interdependence. And each person brings their part and receives the benefit from each one bringing their part. And there's growth that, that occurs within the body of Christ. But at the end of that chapter, Paul says, Earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still a more excellent way. A more excellent way. What's he talking about here? And we know that the next verse is chapter 13, the most well-known chapter within First Corinthians, often read at marriages, at weddings, inappropriately so, because husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Love is important. But as Kevin brought out last week, that the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is around and sandwiched between two chapters on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are to be motivated, used, and motivated by love. Lest what we do with our gifts in in ministry be wood, hay, and stubble and burn up at the judgment seat of Christ and mean nothing in eternity. Because love lasts. Love lasts. Okay? So, Paul gives a whole chapter on love, 13 verses, describing the priority of love, saying that without it we're nothing, uh, describing us a portrait, a definition, a description of what love is. It's patient, it's kind, and Kevin did a great job bringing that out last week. Describing the permanence of love, that it lasts forever. And so now he's teaching the Corinthians to pursue love. And he doesn't say pursue love and just forget about the gifts. That was not his conclusion. He was not like pursue love because love, love's most important and the gifts, they don't mean anything. You don't need to pursue those. Paul is not saying that the gifts are unimportant. They are important. God has given us gifts. Okay? But they're not as important as the gospel. They're not as important as just simply loving one another. Alright? The fruit of the Spirit is something that we're going to emphasize over the gifts of the Spirit. But we're not going to diminish and say that the gifts of the Spirit are not important because they are. God has given us gifts for for His glory. That He might be magnified in the, the, the good stewardship of those gifts and for the good of the common good of the church. Okay? So, and Paul says in verse, this is actually verse 12. He says, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. There's a couple different translations. 
that, that uh, interpret this a little bit different, say it a little bit different. The NSAB says, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Okay? The NLT says, since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. The message paraphrase says, since you are so eager to participate in what God is doing, why don't you concentrate on doing what helps everyone? The New King James says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. It's possible to pursue excellence for all the wrong reasons. To excel in your craft and excel in your job for all the wrong reasons. Paul directs the Corinthian church to excellence, but for the reason, the purpose of building up the church. Not building up our portfolio, profile, our name, exalting ourselves, but for building up others within the church. Okay? So, <clears throat> this idea of building. So, I love to see my children use their capacity to build things. My girls do it. My boys do it. Particularly with Legos. I'm impressed by my 11-year-old and my 4-year-old. Impressed how they can read instructions long enough to figure out what they're supposed to do with those Legos and have the patience to sit down quietly and contently. By the way, this is so good for their development, right? Is that right, Chelsea? My sister-in-law's a psychiatrist, a psych- psychologist. Um, this is so important for their development, right? To just to, to build, to sit there quietly and just focus on building, right? It's a good thing. God has wired us to do that. As image bearers, he's wired us to build things, okay? And Paul's already talked about this idea in 1 Corinthians 13 of building the church. He said that that, that Christ is the foundation of the church and, and, and that the ministers of the gospel are to build and to take care, to take heed with what kind of materials they build with. Because some building will, will be gold, silver, and precious stones. We love children, by the way, in this church. And we embrace them. And the proverb that says, where the stall is, where, where there's no oxen, the stall is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. Slugs and Bugs has a great song on that. Uh, is, is a good reminder for those of you with littles in this season of life. Alright? When there's no oxen, the stall is clean. Everything, the house is clean. When there's no, no toddlers running around putting fingerprints and making mess. But strength comes by, but, uh, increase comes by the strength of an ox. Anyways, side, side note. We love you parents. God sees you and wants to give you grace and strength and wisdom in this season of training up children in the ways of the Lord. It is a holy privilege and responsibility that you've been entrusted with and we have some great mom and dads here who are committed to doing that very thing amen and so build your kids up build the church up 
with your gifts. Next, <clears throat> we must understand and use our gifts properly. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, I believe verse 3, he said, Brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts because what happens with ignorance? Okay? When we're, when we're ignorant of how a tool works, we're gonna use it the wrong way. Okay? When we were on the mission trip, um, uh, we were doing some, some projects on the church and we had some tools that were not very good. We had some, some poor quality, um, drill bits and they were getting stripped and, and we just, there were some, we needed some different tools and so we had the ladies go pick us up some other tools so we can more effectively take care of business. Having the proper tool is important when you're doing a project. And using the proper tool is important when you're doing a project. It's, it's really cute how my kids like to do certain things and they go to my, the, to the garage and they go to my toolbox and they pull out the, the craziest tools to do things that I, I would never use spe- those specific tools with. I'm, I was trying to think of a specific example. Um, but, but the point is you don't use your hammer to spread your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now they weren't using that. But you get the point. We can misuse tools and use them the wrong way. And they're not going to be most effective. Uh, I get a little nervous when I see them getting sharp things. Or I see them getting the power drill out. I mean, it's cute. It's fun. But somebody's going to get hurt if we're not careful. So we must understand our gifts. To excel in building up the church, we must understand how what God has given us, how he's gifted us, and we must use them properly. Now, Paul is addressing in this chapter two specific gifts that God has given to the church. Praying in tongues and prophecy. All right? Now, I know some of you may get a little nervous when we talk about tongues, all right? Because maybe you came from a more conservative Baptist background or Bible church background where you don't talk about that or you don't do that, okay? Well, we're going to talk about it today. So Paul says in verse 2, he says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. That's not a bad thing. If you have the gift of tongues and you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. I'm just curious, how many of y'all speak in tongues? Okay. You don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to be proud either, but you can raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you. I know there's more of you. Um, one of my, by the way, when when I was before, <clears throat> when I started dating my wife, one of my family members, that was one of the first questions they asked: Does she speak in tongues? <laughs> oh, okay, uh, she does, but that's not a criteria for me. That's not like top of the list for me. <laughs> does she speak in tongues? She does very quietly. You would never know. <clears throat> Did you raise your hand? Okay, okay. <laughs> On the other hand, the one who... So he's addressing speaking in tongues and he's addressing prophecy. And and, and, and so when someone prophesies, they're building their... Or, I'm sorry, when somebody speaks in tongues, they're building their self up. That's not a bad thing. Okay? But it's not prop, the proper use of that specific gift if you're in corporate worship... 
Because when we come to corporate worship, it's not just you having your quiet time with Jesus. It's not just you and Jesus and you're going to just build yourself up. There's the body of Christ that's all around you. And we come to exalt God together, to lift our voices to God together in worship and adoration. And we speak to one another. We call one another to worship. We call one another to behold who God is and to respond to who God is. And so, that's good. Speaking tongues is, is not a bad thing. But misusing it is, is, is not a good thing. So, Paul says in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now notice how many times in this chapter he talks about the church being built up. That's the main point. He wants the church to be built up because it's not going to be helpful to the church and anybody who comes into the church if there's chaos and disorder and there's a lack of understanding within the church. You see, we believe that God communicates and he speaks and 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 we believe that we have meaning in this life and that what we say and do matters and so when we gather in corporate worship we don't just come together to feel good and just have emotional experiences we come together on purpose we want to experience the presence of god we aim to experience God in His presence, like I did this morning in, in worship. I just, I just, just bawled like a little baby because I felt the the loving affirmation in the presence of God in corporate worship. I don't that, that didn't happen every single Sunday for me, but every single Sunday there is there's meaning and truth that's being communicated through the Bible, but also through individuals speaking biblical truth to one another okay um so so to excel in building up the church we must understand our gifts and use them properly misunderstanding leads to misuse understanding will help us to use them properly now notice also that <clears throat> clear communication is necessary for the building up of the church okay not unclear communication. Okay? We want to be around people who communicate clearly. Now, not all, not all of us are the best at communication. We all got room to grow in our communication skills. Okay? But communication is important. And Paul highlights this. He says, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you unless I bring some revelation? Okay? Some knowledge, some prophecy, or some teaching. Unless, unless you comprehend what's being said, how's it going to benefit? If, unless there's meaning conveyed in what's being said, how's it going to benefit? And the implication, it's not going to be beneficial. It's not going to be most helpful. And he uses a couple different analogies with musical instruments. He says, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? If the bugle is gives an indistinct sound, how will how who will get ready for battle? Now, my wife plays the flute. And I love it when she plays the flute. Now, 
that flute stays in the in the cupboard. But around Christmas time, my family gets the joy of her pulling that out and she she reads music. She played in she played in band. Her her high school team was an amazing did they, they did y'all win state championship, Duncanville state championship band? How many band nerds do we have in the house? Okay. One, all right. Two, three, four. Awesome. Not band not nerds, but you know. Band participants. <laughs> totally joking. I'm totally joking with y'all. Hey, I love music. Okay? And so I try to get my wife to play that flute even more, because I'm a I'm a musical nerd too, right? And um and we, we're trying to get our kids to play piano. Um, but but it's important when she plays the flute that she have sheet music. Because she can't just flow and just play anything that she wants to try to play. She needs some order to follow, some structure to follow. And she does a great job when she has that. And, and she can play the Christmas hymns. And she could, she could get up here and play on Kevin on Sunday morning sometime uh, on the worship team and sound great. But she, there must be distinct notes that she pushes and, and, and there must be order if it's going to be a pleasing sound and something that will edify the church. It's, it has to be used. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry I'm using this as an illustration, babe. I didn't mean to use it as, that ability has to be used and it has to be used orderly in a proper way if it's going to bring edification. Trumpet, how many, do we got a trump, a trumpet player? Uh, trombone. Trombone. What else do we got here? Bass, sax, who? Just interesting. Saxophone? Nikki? Okay. Sorry, I'm going on a little rabbit trail. Uh, just buying some time not to talk about the hard stuff. <laughs> Actually, I'm not, but. <clears throat> so using those, those instruments, if they're going to make any clear sound and they're going to be helpful, there has to be order, there has to be distinction if it's going to communicate, convey beauty in order, and something that can be appreciated. And Paul goes on and he says, So with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to speak to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me." Now here's a great quote from D.A. Carson about this. He says, One lesson, however, comes through the first verses of 1 Corinthians 14 with startling force. Whatever the place for profound personal experience and corporate emotional experience, the assembled church is a place for intelligibility. Our God is a thinking, speaking God. And if we will know him, we must learn to think his thoughts after him. Our God is a thinking, speaking God. This is important. All right? Because he's also wired us to be intelligent and speak and, and not, and, and not to neglect emotions. Emotions are important too. But we need to convey meaning and, and truth when we gather in corporate worship. Paul goes on to say, Therefore the one who prays or speaks in a tongue should pray that, that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit and I will 
pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. There it is again. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is the Apostle Paul here, the one who wrote the book of Romans. He said, I speak in tongues more than all you Corinthians. Okay. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay. So let's answer the question. What is tongues? Okay. Because for, for many in the church, this is a mysterious, scary topic. Okay. When we talk about tongues. Um, and he says that, <clears throat> that when, when someone prays in a tongue, they're praying to, they're not speaking to men, but they're speaking to God. And the, 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 the what's being said is not comprehended. Uh, somebody who prays in a tongue is praying from their spirit and they're communicating to God. Isn't that amazing that God gives us the capacity, first of all, to communicate to him and then to be able to pray in a way with this particular gift, to pray in a way when we don't know how to pray as we ought to, 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 to pray in tongues as a way of being built up in your time with the Lord. Um, so Sam Storms, who I highly recommend on this topic, uh, has, has a lot to say. He's written a lot about this. He says that tongues is the spirit-prompted ability to pray and praise God in a heavenly dialect. Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology. If, you, if you're looking for a good theological book outside of the Bible to assist you in your study of topics and, um, of the Bible, I highly recommend Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And he addresses this in in his section on spiritual gifts. And he says, speaking in tongues is prayer or praise in syllabus uh, not understood by the speaker. Okay? Not understood by the speaker. David Garland says this, Paul understood tongues to be a language inspired by the Spirit and not a non-cognitive, non-language utterance. It is simply incoherent it is, it, I'm sorry, it is not simply incoherent babbling in the spirit. Tongues consist of words, which though indecipherable, are not meaningless syllables strung together. Okay? I think that's a very helpful statement. Now, <clears throat> there are some within the body of Christ that are, who fall in the camp of cessationism and they believe that this particular gift uh, is no longer active and functional in the world today. Uh, if, if you're here and that's your position, we love you. We're not, we don't have to divide over that, but here at City Church, we're continuationists. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit have continued and, and, and these are, and this is one that has continued. And I, just so you know, if you, if you're wondering, does Pastor Keith speak in tongues? I do pray in tongues. I do pray in tongues often. But know this, I don't see it as a badge of honor, okay? And I don't think I'm more spiritual or any, any better than any other Christian because I pray in tongues, okay? As a matter of fact, one of the, the preachers that I respect, uh, one of my favorite preachers, uh, Pastor John Piper, he shares his story about this and, 
and, and heeding the Apostle Paul's uh, instruction to desire spiritual gifts, he has asked the Lord for this gift of praying in tongues. And you know what he has said? He says, it's as if God has responded to me saying, John, I've given you a gift. He's a profound writer and preacher. And, and God is using him to build up the church with his gift, right? And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, are all prophets, are all apostles, do all do healings and miracles, do all pray in tongues? And the implication there is, is no. Not everybody prays in tongues and not everybody is supposed to or has to. Okay? It's a gift that's given to many within the body of Christ, but it doesn't make one more spiritual or better than any other Christian. So Paul points the Corinthians to prophecy as something that will be much more helpful within the body of Christ. And prophecy, he says, is when someone speaks prophecy, they're upbuilding, they're building up, they're giving encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Grudem says that prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Sam Storms says that prophecy is speaking forth in merely human words, something that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and often spontaneously revealed to a believer. Prophecy is a human report of a divine revelation. D.A. Carson in his book, Showing the Spirit, says prophecy may occur more often than is recognized in non-charismatic circles and less often than is recognized in charismatic circles. What's he saying there? Okay, There's a lot of folks in non-charismatic circles who may be prophesying and not even realize that they're prophesying. Okay, wouldn't that be amazing? Or uh, I think it is amazing. Um, there, that that this is this is operating within the body of Christ. And there's many in the charismatic circles who have these words that seem super spiritual that may not be be very prophetic as they think they are. Okay, and so <clears throat> prophecy is to be emphasized and desired and pursued as a way to build up the body of Christ. Now, on Pentecost, when when God poured out His Spirit on the church, they started speaking in different tongues, alright? The Spirit moved in power, 3,000 people were saved. Peter gets up and he quotes Joel and says that this is happening right here, okay? This is the inauguration of a new age of the kingdom of God coming, the church is being established and, and filled with the Spirit in which Jesus promised would happen. And, and Peter gets up and he says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Wouldn't it be amazing if we can experience more of this prophetic community right here where we speak God's words, we speak His heart, we respond to His promptings to spontaneously share a revelation and insight that the Spirit gives us in the moment. 
Now, let me just say this, by the way, because some people feel very uncomfortable about talking about prophecy and prophesying as a revelation. Um, and, and Wayne Grudem describes it as that. We consider the Bible as a more sure prophetic word, a more authoritative. And so the insights and the revelations and the words that God gives his people in gatherings don't don't carry the same weight as what the Bible says. Okay, Actually, they should be subject. All of those words that people speak over you should be subject to what the Bible says. This can guard us from being manipulated and controlled by words that people are speaking over us. And unfortunately, this gift has been misused for manipulation. Um, I remember, <clears throat> I remember one time I was at a, um, I was at a mall parking lot and I got in a conversation with a lady who I just met. And she told me, she said, you're going to go to Christ for the Nations one day. And I, I heard that. I, I, t- I took note of that. Okay. But I didn't like quit my job and, and just like go to Christ for, go to this Bible school. Um, actually, I forgot about it. I just put it on the shelf. Like, okay. This lady was, you know, she was more charismatic and, uh, I didn't despise what she said. I didn't, I didn't reject what she said, but I just like, okay. And uh, years later, when I enrolled in Christ for the Nations, I was reminded of this specific prophetic word that this lady spoke over me. Um, now, this had to do more with directional and foretelling. And, and primarily, Paul is saying that, that this gift of prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Now, some cessationists would say prophecy is just preaching, just inspired, spirit-filled preaching. Um, I, I disagree. Um, I think that inspired, spirit-filled preaching can have elements of prophecy. And, and, and um, But I, I think I, I agree with Grudem and how he describes it. And, and I was brought to tears this morning just thinking about how my life has been shaped. I've been formed and shaped into the man I am today. Because of the prophetic community that God has surrounded me with. Okay? Um, since a, as a new Christian, um, I just, um, and particularly where I've seen the gift of prophecy operating the most is in prayer meetings and community groups. Prayer meetings and, com- and small group settings where believers are pursuing God and going hard after God. And of course, I've experienced it in the the bigger gatherings as well. Uh, But let me just highlight a couple of effects of prophecy. We've already mentioned these. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation, understanding, okay? Instead of somebody not understanding because somebody just prayed in tongues. By the way, this morning... Dick Wakeman came up to me and whispered in my ear, and he shared a prophetic word with me. I don't know if he realized this was prophetic or not, but it was it was a prophetic word to me in that moment. He spontaneously responded to the Spirit's prompting, and there goes the layers of my heart in corporate worship, just being reminded of how God has seen me and spoken words of life over me through the people of God, I mean, who who doesn't need that? Who doesn't need some encouragement? Life is hard. And this world and culture is so cynical and broken. We need encouragement. We we have no idea how much people how much discouragement our brothers and sisters are walking into this room on Sunday mornings feeling 
needing to be encouraged by the Spirit of God, by the saints, by the people of God, responding to the leading of the Spirit to speak words of life to one another. And there are some of you who do that consistently here. And you know who you are, and some of you others know who you are as well. You're consistently speaking words of life over people. You're, you're, you're pursuing love by seeking to speak words that will build up and asking God, God, what do you want me to say to this person today? How do you want me to encourage this person? Paul says this. He goes on, and, and this really needs to be two parts. Um, I'm sorry. I'm trying to cover a lot in this, and there's a lot of explanation that's needed. And I invite questions and discussion afterwards. I, I see a couple of people have left the room since I started preaching. Um, if you feel inclined to leave, uh, please come and talk to me if, if you feel like you want to leave because of some of these things that I'm bringing up. I just want to make sure there's not any under misunderstanding. Prophecy should give understanding. Now look what Paul says in verse 24. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to an account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Who doesn't want that in their corporate worship meetings? Who doesn't want people who, uh, unbelievers or outsiders, new people who come in to experience God in such a profound way that they are, they feel and know God sees me, God is here, and just worship God as a response to like the presence of God and the people of God operating in the prophetic. May we see more of this. I mean, some of us live like functional atheists. Or functional deist, as if God just created the world, spun it up like a clock and just let it go. As if he's not intimately and actively involved in the lives of his people. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He speaks. He's the living God. He speaks. He thinks. He communicates. He's working. And we believe that here. We want to live like that here. And if we accept some theology that God is is, is not connected and, and doesn't care, and and and, and um, we're going to die on the inside and wither up. We're made to be fully alive in our relationship with God and call others into deeper waters with Him. Now let me give a specific example, okay? So community groups is where we've seen this operate consistently. We have a couple people in our group that step out this, step out in this um, more frequently than others. But my wife uh, steps out in this a good amount. Christine Kirshner, who's um, not here this morning, has stepped out and sharing prophetic words with people often. Robert back here does the same. Dick Wakeman, uh, Ernesto. Um, there's a number of people here. Brandy. Actually, here, here's an example here. So we were in community group. We were talking about the power of the tongue in James chapter 3. Okay, The tongue has the power to direct. The p- tongue has the power to destroy. Okay, We were talking about that in James chapter 3. And then we started talking about prophecy. Okay, And how prophecy is, is a way that we can build up the church. And um, <clears throat> so we started prophesying over one another. And just, just kind of stepping out. Trying to encourage. Okay? And some people don't don't even mess with this because it just seems too mystical and, and over spiritual. But if you're if you're having struggle, if, I'm going to change that. You guys are reading that already. Um, if you're having struggle 
with, with this gift and feeling like this is weird, this is kooky. Um, just simply pursue encouraging others within the body of Christ. Encourage others with biblical truth. And when you're standing in front of them and you're having conversations or you're in a meeting, you're in in, in community group together or, or you see one another at church, and this happens after church. We linger here. We stay till one o'clock until our, our tummies are rumbling. And we're just mingling and fellowship and encouraging one another and ministering to one another. But there's, there's words that are shared, encouraging words. There's listening ears. There's, 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 there's an exercise of the gifts through compassion and care. Um, so, so we, so we decided to kind of step out in this gift in our community group and there were a number of encouraging words. And one of them, um, was through Brandy back here who, um, she did not know Ellie very well. Uh, and she had a word for Ellie that was right on. And those of us who knew, know Ellie, knew Ellie better than she did at the time were just like, wow, like that was right on. And so, so she went into, this, she felt very uncomfortable by this, okay? Um, and this was her, she, she wrote a long email to our community group because she didn't know how to respond uh, in that moment. But she wrote this beautiful articulate email and I asked her if I could share this with you all. Uh, but part of it said, Brandy, with your brief disclaimer, I prepared myself not to like what you said and I didn't. <laughs> not for what you said, but because what you said made me feel naked and seen, it pierced me to the very being. And as tears filled my eyes and my heart uh, began to race, and she goes on. Now, why am, I, why am I bringing this up? Because what happened here was the very thing that Paul says would happen when there's a prophetic community operating in this gift. The secrets of the heart are revealed. There's a sense that, I'm seen, God is here, this is scary. Or, I mean, really, we, it should be, this is good, this is amazing. If we'll respond to the loving, gracious, tender, the God softening the hardness in our hearts and our lives, and conveying that He loves us through this, He's not just condemning us with mean words of accusation and condemnation. He's speaking tenderly, Encouragement, edification, exhortation, comfort. It brings healing within our community, our loving community that we're trying to cultivate here. And, and, and we gotta be a loving community if we're gonna step out in some of these things. I mean, sometimes it, it's risky. It was risky for Brandy to step out and share this, this word that she shared. But I'm so glad that she did in faith and she was courageous and bold and God moved and he worked in our community group and, and, and here and, and another, a number of other different ways. So how should we use our gifts? I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane shortly here. We should use our gifts in love. We should use our gifts in decency and order. We should use our gifts with submission. Recognizing that our prophetic words don't carry the same authority and weight as the Bible does. And we may get it wrong if we step out in this and we try to share a, a, a prophetic word with folks. Our, you know, kids learning, uh, language, um, you know, they struggle with our, you know, articulation and they see something. My four year old, when he's describing something that happens, I hear, ah, ah, so this happened or that happened. And they come to me. 
And my, my four-year-old's just in a stage where he's like, Carson did this to me and I did this. And and he's just struggling to communicate. They both saw the same thing and experienced the same thing. Carson's words as an 11-year-old are more articulate than my four-year-old. And so sometimes I start thinking, man, he's in big, he's, he needs a spanking. But, but then if I just wait a little bit and just hear both sides and, and let my four-year-old do his best to articulate with his words in the best ways that he can with his limited, um, um, verbiage, um, I may, I may realize that he doesn't need a spanking and may, it may be my 11-year-old who needs the spanking, right? Um, anyways, my point is, is that we're, as, as children of God, we grow in hearing from the Father and then articulating his message to others. And we're not going to like ace it the first time. Like, you know, sometimes we, we, we just need to step out and share what, 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 what he's, what he's saying and uh, encourage others. And of course, always we, we submit those words to God and to, to scripture. Paul says, um, in verse 30 through 32, he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let it, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So Paul's describing this posture of submission that we should have within the body of Christ as we're using our gifts, and particularly prophecy here. Okay, Paul said in in Ephesians 5, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. This is what spirit-filled Christians do. Submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. And, and then just considering, weighing whether those words are from the Lord or not, or what is from the Lord and what's not, or... Uh, what's being said? What does it mean? Um, we should use our gifts in humility. Paul says, you know, let no one think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment. See, no one of us have all the gifts. And it should humble us, first of all, that the gifts that we do have are gifts from God. We didn't earn them. We didn't achieve them. They were given to us freely as a gift of grace. And secondly, we don't have all the gifts. Others have gifts within the body of Christ, and we need those gifts too. We need to receive from those gifts as well. And so we should be humble in faith. Let him who prophesies prophesy in faith with God's strength, with God's words. Peter says that if any, as each one has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another. As you, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, use your gift to serve one another. If your gift is speaking, speak the words of God. If your gift is serving, serve in the strength that God supplies so then all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God gets the glory through the proper use of our gifts and the common good occurs within the body of Christ through the proper use of our gifts. And so let me land, as I always do, with some application. Desire spiritual gifts and ask God for them. Desire them. Maybe some of you have, um, maybe some of you have have gifts that God has already given, we all do. Some of you may have gifts that God has given you, but maybe you haven't used it in a long time. You need to knock the dust off that old flute, so to speak, right? 
and step out and use that gift and, and, and ask God, God, how do you want me to use this within the body of Christ? Okay? Now, the way that I discovered my spiritual gifts I was not by just taking a spiritual gift test, by the way. I, I'm not against those, okay? But the way that I experienced the use of my spiritual gifts is I got saved and I was at a church that had lots of needs, people coming out of addiction, my mom and I both coming out of addiction, Okay, we're picking up kids from the projects on Fridays and Saturday nights, and there's former drug addicts there, people getting paroled out of prison, and we're just in this, this church and this community that there's a lot of need all around. And I just saw need, and I just moved towards it. So the first thing for me was children's ministry. Okay, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna be there part of the children's ministry and just serve people. I didn't know what my gifts were. Okay, I, I and I, I started just serving in different areas that the church that I was in provided, and I just moved towards people trying to love them. <laughs> I mean, I, I I started with a cardboard sign in my car that says Jesus loves you, because God and later I was later to find out that God had wired me to be an evangelist, and so the way that I started to express evangelism was a cardboard sign that says Jesus loves you and I would honk my horn driving down the street and smile real big until I caused two accidents. Alright? And so I stopped doing that. Right? Zeal without knowledge is not good, Proverbs says. Right? But my point is, I just found ways... There was There's ministry all around us. You don't have to be up on a stage to minister. Okay, you can engage in one-on-one conversations. You can do what I did and go into a juvenile detention center for six years on Sunday nights. I went to go talk to young people who were in the same life stage that I was in to try to bring hope and encouragement and healing to their lives. I just saw a need and I just moved towards that need. And and as I began to go there, I realized, hey, I can play the guitar. Hey, I can preach. I can preach to these guys. It's easy. I got a captive audience here in this, you know, uh, jail cell. I can preach to these guys. And, and, and as I began to just move towards people trying to love them, it became more and more evident how God had wired me and how God had gifted me. And, and others, leaders within the church begin to affirm and, and give words to those giftings that were being expressed through my life. And so, Next point of application is avoid despising prophecy or any other gifts. Okay. Paul says don't forbid speaking in tongues. Okay. But he does say like, don't everybody be Shandabak and cutting loose in the middle of the service because it's not going to be helpful. All right. And by the way, don't, don't worry. We're not going to gather. If you don't pray in tongues, we're not going to gather around you after the service and, and not let you leave until you start praying in tongues. I know some churches that, that some Pentecostal churches that, that will do things like that and give you some syllables to start saying. Start saying, there she goes in a Honda. Should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia, right? And then all of a sudden you're speaking in tongues. No, we're not gonna do that kind of stuff around here. <laughs> but even though there's some, there's some, there's some crazy things that happens with spiritual gifts and people misuse them, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. These are good gifts that our loving God has given us to build us up as a church, to glorify Him with. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is a great verse to close with, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. 
Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Don't turn the water faucet off with the, what God is doing through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives in us and is among us as he's moving in lives. Don't quench that work that he's doing. Don't, he tells us another place, don't grieve the spirit. And he says, don't despise prophecies. Don't look down upon these prophetic words that are coming forth through the body of Christ. Because you need some encouragement. And those around you need some encouragement. But also he says, test everything. Don't just accept everything that you hear as, oh, it's a prophetic word. I guess it's from the Lord. It sounded spiritual. Is it the right moment, right? Test it. Filter it through scripture. What does God say? Does, does it, does it pass the test of truth, the truth of scripture? Does it pass the test of love? Okay, does it convey love? Okay. Does it bear witness with your spirit? Does the leadership community of the church or the community of the church agree? This is a a word from the Lord. And he he says, hold fast to what is good. Take the good. As the guy who discipled me says, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Eat the meat and spit out the bones. You just got to do that. You know, there's going to be bones. There's going to be, (laughs) and there's going to be meat. Abstain from every form of evil. Lastly, be attentive to the Spirit to give you words to share that would be most helpful and show you ways to serve others that would be most helpful. I think one of the ways we quench the Spirit is living such fast-paced lives that we don't slow down to hear what God is saying. We don't sit with others long enough and give them our undivided attention long enough to sense what God is saying to them and, how, and, and, and find out the specific way that we can encourage them with our words and impart grace into their lives through our words. Saints, you have the capacity to build the church up, to build up those around you with your words, or the capacity to tear them down. May we be those who have life-giving words, words that impart grace and truth. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would help each one of us to discern your will concerning these matters. May we hear what you have to say. May we respond to your leading. And may we speak what you want us to say. May we serve in ways that you want us to serve. May we be fully alive. Not passive spectators, but active participants in the kingdom of God. You're on the move. You're working. You're speaking. You're alive. May our lives reflect that reality here at City Church Garland. In Christ's name, we pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance on you. And may he give you his peace. You guys have a great Sunday.